0: Welcome back to yet another episode of Ball with Y'all, episode number two of season number three. We are so glad you chose to join us, whether that's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, or on YouTube at BWY Productions. We are so glad, once again, you chose to spend a little bit of your morning, your afternoon, or your evening with us. want to thank all of you as well, because we had a record-breaking, historic first episode of our season, and we are so glad to get into... A lot more this episode and also throughout the coming weeks and coming months throughout this season. Now Zach I think let's get right into it with our first segment of the day. Let's crack it open. <laughs> to begin let's crack it open we are going to kick off with a little bit of, of conference realignment. Zach we've had a great deal of, of realignment discussion and then also a great deal of realignment itself over the past few weeks and months. Uh, I want to first start off with USC and UCLA, right? They they joined, or they are joining, the Big Ten in what, 2023, 2024, 2025? To be determined still. To be determined. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, there's a lot to unpack here. Just get your initial thoughts on that whole
1: situation. Utter shock. I mean, I remember coming uh, off of my lunch break and I saw a text from you and I, it said, USC and UCLA, the Big Ten, that's cool. And I was like, this has got to be like a sick joke. My first move as always for all college football fans, is go on Reddit. And it was true. Um, Okay, looking at it from a financial perspective, this makes a lot of sense. Pac-12 has been crumbling for some time now. Teams in schools like USC, UCLA, even a Washington and Oregon, for instance, they've got to be looking for ways to get out of there if they want to make more money. So it makes sense on paper. I think what we have to do, too, as fans now in this new era of college sports, is get rid of the geographic... Uh, conference kind of historical place that it's always been like as you can tell too with the sec we have oklahoma texas coming in there's no more geography with any of these conferences it's only money it doesn't matter where they're from it doesn't matter where they are it's only about money and that's strictly what this move came down to it's going to be weird to see Rutgers and ucla play a conference game and maryland and usc as well that makes no sense and for me as a traditionalist I'm a little bit fearful for what the Rose Bowl will still have left to offer in the coming years, too.
0: Well, and I think to that point, from a from a financial standpoint and from a visibility standpoint, this made a ton of sense for USC and UCLA, right? Uh, I always go back to this, this perfect example where Vanderbilt loves seeing Alabama and Georgia in the college football playoff. Why? Because they get a kickback from the TV broadcast stations and so on for... Other teams in their conference being in the college football playoff. And now, finally, USC and UCLA will get a kickback from Ohio State or whoever else being in the playoff. Because, was it Washington Mm -hmm. and Oregon? The only two teams from the Pac-12, from the current existing Pac-12, that have made... The college football playoff to this point in time.
1: And what years was was that? Uh 14 and 17? 14 and 15. 14 to 15. So the first and second college football playoffs had Pac-12 teams. They haven't had one since 2015. Yeah. Do you remember what you were doing in
0: 2015? Uh, I was still in high school.
1: Right. So was I, struggling <laughs> mightily in algebra 2. So, yeah. It's been a while since the Pac-12s had some significant relevance. Personally, I think we could see a little bit of that this year with Utah. Mm. But we'll get to that later in the season. But It's a great move on paper, and financially, too. I mean, I personally think that we're going to be looking at four super conferences in the coming years. I think the Pac-12 is on its last legs. I think the Big 12 really has done a great job positioning itself, too, with the additions they had last year of UCF, Houston, BYU, and... Cincinnati. Cincinnati, correct. So, I don't see the Pac-12 really lasting too much longer, which is disappointing, but the Big 10 struck dynamite in this and i think they're going to reap the rewards of it for quite some time
0: well and i think especially from a big 10 standpoint the biggest win seems to be from a recruiting like level Mm -hmm. you look at ohio state michigan indiana wisconsin now have this gold mine of a market when it comes to los angeles right and obviously, Ohio State's had reach there with, with their quarterback, Dwayne Haskins, being from that area and, and many other players on their, on their team and many others, right? But they have that reach and that, that ability to actually make waves in the recruiting uh, landscape, right? And it's going to actually change how they recruit moving forward. And it's going to change the game for other conferences as well. How does the SEC respond to this? How does the ACC respond to this? And ultimately, the Big Ten, I feel like the Big Ten schools benefit a little bit more from this move than USC and
1: UCLA do. Mm -hmm. I think it's mutually beneficial, but I think it's definitely almost equal, if not greater, of return on investment for the other existing Big Ten schools. This makes Northwestern a lot more attractive, too. (laughs) I mean, Northwestern now gets to go out and recruit and say, hey, we're going to play in LA probably every year once the schedule's all said and done with a rotation of either UCLA or USC. Or, hey... You're a big grinder on the offensive line, and the and you live in Oregon, Washington, California. Well, guess what? You're going to be able to play a home game every year if you come to Ohio State too. So, I mean, listen, I think it's a great move for both. I'm a little fearful for. See, I've always been a huge realignment fan, as I think you have yeah, too. More than familiar, <laughs> right? Yeah, we like realignment. This is the first time I'm like, okay, maybe it's gotten a little out of hand here. This has gotten a little bit crazy. I don't want to see, and I, you know, we want feedback from the listeners too on this, I don't want to see 20-team conferences. I think 16's the number. That makes sense. You can pull off nine conference games a year, and it still fits. That's why I didn't have a problem with Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC last year. That's why I still am kind of like, okay, it's 16 teams in the Big Ten. If they go grab Notre Dame, Oregon, Washington, and a combination of either Colorado or Utah— that is gonna be scary and I think at that point when we're getting to 20 team conferences, college sports is officially over.
0: Well and to that point um, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to uh, Kevin Warren's uh, the big mm-hmm. Ten commissioner his comments at the Big Ten media days he made a comment that they're looking at Miami and Florida State yep. and it's I know we, you, you made a comment about about moving away from geographics but that seems like such a reach at this point in time yeah to it say does. That, to say that Florida State and Miami should be going to the Big Ten. I mean, obviously, there's no way that we're done at 16, to your point. It does not make any any logistical sense to have USC and UCLA be the only two teams from the West Coast or from the Pac-12 that are part of the Big Ten, right? I think you look at Washington and Oregon. I think you look at Utah and Colorado. There are a number of other teams out there that, that would, or a number of other programs, rather, that would make sense going to the Big Ten, but it seems like a stretch at this point in time to think that we're just going to sit at 16.
1: Absolutely, but... To that point, though, I mean, there is going to be a point in time where it comes to, okay, there's too many bites of the pie being taken out of. Because at a certain point now we're sending money to 20 schools and 24 schools. So that's my only hope, really, to keep it around 16 for these conferences. But, I mean, who's to say? And, you know, looking at the other conferences, the only one that doesn't really need to do anything is the SEC. Mm-hmm. The SEC does not need to expand one bit for the rest of eternity they have enough big name programs enough money coming in they're gonna be set for a long time this is a move out of desperation for the big 10 you'll see one probably from the acc as well if i was the acc you have to go get notre dame immediately now i think that big 10 going to sit on this for quite a little while here but man we're, like, right on the brink of, like, the last domino falling where it's, like, okay, it's just pure chaos now.
0: And you, you touched on a couple of, of key areas there in the sense of the SEC being incredibly comfortable right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we heard it in Greg Sankey's comments at SEC Media Days. There is no need for them to go, out, go after a program unless they bring substantial value to the SEC. Exactly. Which is why there's no reason for them to go after a program unless it's Florida State or Miami, or Clemson, or Georgia Tech, or Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. Which even then, a couple of those programs may not really bring tremendous value compared to a Texas or an Oklahoma, right? And then the flip side of that, to your point about Notre Dame, there's there are a couple of, of, of newsworthy items out there, and we'll get into more of this in the coming days and weeks, that you don't really know where Notre Dame might fall, and they're kind of the crux of all of this. Mm-hmm. Their independence, or lack thereof, moving forward will kind of be, I feel like, the, the driving factor of where college football goes in the coming years. Where Notre Dame lands, whether they stick with the ACC or whether they go with the Big Ten, and how their meteorites kind of play into that will drive a lot of our direction as a sport and as a league moving forward.
1: I agree. I think, to your point, though, the ACC is not a competitor right now. The only thing the SEC can look to the left or right at and maybe see in the distance is the Big Ten Even that, though, I mean, just look at the bottom of the Big Ten compared to the bottom of the SEC. Looking at, like, okay, Nebraska, Northwestern, Purdue, Indiana, right? Compare that with Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, and let's just say, what, South Carolina, right? The SEC still has head and shoulders over them in almost all those sports, too. So, yeah, if you're the ACC, you have to do something drastic. You have to do it soon. I think Notre Dame is their last-ditch hope. If they don't secure a Notre Dame-type level school to come into that conference, you're going to see Miami, Clemson, Florida State, Georgia Tech, Virginia, Virginia Tech, North Carolina—they're gone because they're going to say you're not making the moves that these other conferences are making to secure more funding for their universities. Why am I still here?
0: And and to that point as well, uh, I don't know if you had the chance to listen to SEC or to ACC media days or or hear some of the uh response to ACC media days but I heard a number of pundits out there kind of commenting on their commissioner's almost uh nonchalant approach to everything right now he doesn't really seem all that concerned he doesn't really seem like he has a plan as far as the road ahead and if I'm the ACC I want Jim Phillips to instill confidence in the direction of our conference compared to the SEC compared to the Big Ten and to that extent, compared to the Big 12, mm-hmm. right now it feels like the ACC is at the bottom of the barrel of the Power Four. I'm taking the Pac-12 out of that conversation, yes, of course. I agree. It feels like the <laughs> ACC is, is bringing up the barrel, like the bottom of the barrel at this point in time. And if Jim Phillips and if, if the other programs don't figure that out soon, um, the future's pretty gloomy.
1: I would agree. I mean, the ACC has had, what, Florida State in 2014, and then Clemson basically all but one year, or all but two years, I'm sorry make the college football playoffs since then. So I don't know how they aren't freaking out because the SEC has had a rotation of Georgia, Bama, LSU, even Auburn, making deep runs into the season. a and other in 2020 was a top-five program all year. The ACC has literally been living off of Clemson for the better half of a decade now, and they don't have anything left. If, if Clemson goes down, as we saw last year, Who does the ACC have? Wake Forest. Pittsburgh. (laughs) Wake Forest, baby. Woo! Go Panthers. We're riding them to the Peach Bowl to lose to Michigan State. Yeah, so it's like you have to go out and get Notre Dame. I know everyone looks at the historical significance of Miami and FSU and whatnot, even Virginia Tech. None of those programs have been relevant the last six, seven years. Miami can have a great season every year, and they don't. They finish right around 8-9 wins. 2017 was a great year. Yeah, and then they actually play like, actual teams, and it was like, <laughs> oh yeah, we can't win anything like, ever.
0: <laughs> what were they going into last week of season number two in the country?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were 10-0 because they had one of those games get canceled. Mm-hmm. Lost to Pittsburgh, got raked over the coals by Clemson, and then didn't know how to score in the second half against Wisconsin. That happens. I can attest to being there for that game. It was not very fun. Um, but yeah. To back to the UCLA USC thing though, a lot of people have said, "Well, this is the equivalent to Texas Oklahoma getting snatched up by the SEC." Do you see that at all? As this being the Big Ten's like response to that?
0: I feel like from from a market standpoint, uh, two very different ideas uh, for, for on a couple different sides of things. Ohio State or not Ohio State, the Big Ten rather giving Ohio State and Michigan. The reach and the and the and the visibility in the LA market is massive right mm-hmm. obviously the SEC getting Austin and getting uh, Oklahoma's market is not exactly apples to apples comparison with with Los Angeles and with the the visibility that comes with that but the flip side of it is the the value that those programs that the Oklahoma's and the Texass of the world bring compared to the USC's and the UCLA's of the world and granted, I know USC was was very valuable as far as program uh, visibility and the worth that they actually brought to television markets and so on in the early 2000s. Well, this is not the early 2000s right now. UCLA has not been relevant for a while. And ultimately, you know, beyond basketball, which obviously is an important piece of the puzzle, but as we're talking specifically about football, Oklahoma and Texas are... Kind of more on the up-and-coming, up right? We talked about it the other day with Arch Manning. We know that Brett Venables is going to do incredible things with Oklahoma this fall. And moving forward, it's it's going to be a, a good position for Texas and Oklahoma. And it's put the SEC in an incredible position. And I don't know that they're really comparable in that sense.
1: They're not. I don't think they are equivalent because the value that Oklahoma and Texas bring is going to be far greater than what USC and UCLA bring, too.
0: Yeah. And honestly, I would even go a step further, right? because uh, obviously the SEC has expanded multiple times, right? Mm-hmm. Was it was it South Carolina and Arkansas yep. that came in most recently? Those were 92, I think. Yeah. 92. I would say that this, I mean, if we want to go apples to apples comparison, that might be more along the lines.
1: That's a very good point. That's a very good point. I would agree with
0: that. I think, you know, obviously South Carolina and Arkansas, they brought in a couple different markets than we had previously, and they helped change the conversation. Mm-hmm. And if anything, USC and UCLA coming into the Big Ten helps to change the conversation in the Big Ten. But I don't know that it, it, it's a monumental move like we saw last year with Oklahoma and Texas. Agreed, 100%. But I, I want to put a little bit of a bow on this idea. I feel like we're both in agreement that this is a, this is a massive decision for the Big Ten. This is a, a massive opportunity for the Big Ten and for USC and UCLA, but it, it pales in comparison to what the SEC has done and what they will continue to do moving forward.
1: Absolutely. I mean, just look at even throwing it back to the other night, college baseball. I mean, Texas and Oklahoma were both in the College World Series, too. So the SEC had six future members, essentially, if you want to count those two, out of the eight in the College World Series. And Oklahoma, I think, is going to have a very good transition to the SEC. I see them coming in winning eight, nine games. Texas, obviously, we talked about them. That's going to be tough. But the SEC, again, beats the Big Ten not only on the football field but also in the brains, too, because they went out and got the two biggest – free agents available, if you will, with Texas and Oklahoma, and that's going to be a boatload of cash coming in with them, whether they come in in 24 or 25. And and the last
0: note I want to add on this conference realignment subject, and I'd love to get your thoughts as well, uh, for the longest time, I thought, and, and you probably thought as well, that the Big 12 was the dying conference, mm-hmm. that they were ready to be, they were ripe <laughs> for the pickings, right, to for, for programs left and right to, to flee to other conferences because it made sense geographically speaking and also just from a financial standpoint. Yeah. Uh, now it seems like the Pac twelve is 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 the dying conference. If you had to make any prognostications as to other programs that might be might be jumping ship other directions. Any any early thoughts on that?
1: I think you gotta look at both the Arizonas. I think both Arizona and Arizona State could be on the move. I also think Colorado and Utah could be a package deal too. I really think the Brainiac schools are going to be the ones that are going to be hurt the most with this, with like a Stanford and Cal type situation, um, with them being on the outside looking in to get into other conferences. I think there's a situation where you could see Washington State and Oregon State being in the Mountain West. Mm. That sounds insane, but if these bigger programs in that conference keep getting picked up by these other conferences, I don't see why not. And then to kind of end the, the segment here with this, the Big 12 survived because the second that they got raided, they went out and got the best schools that fit their conference. Going out to secure a, a BYU, Cincinnati, a UCF, and a Houston changes the game. They went out and got four teams last year that were top 25 schools. Cincinnati was in the college football playoff. BYU is a top 15 team. Houston was a top 25 team, and, and so was UCF. And they've won UCF. a national championship. Yes, what? 2017 national champs UCF. <laughs> Over your Crimson Tide. Didn't you remember that game? Uh, uh They played them and they beat them at the last Uh second. Yeah, I remember that game very vividly. (laughs) We love you, 85 different polls that help us determine a champ.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But, and to that point as well, on the Big 12, they expanded their reach so incredibly Mm -hmm. well in doing that, right? Like, they got Cincinnati, they expanded into the Ohio market, they got UCF, they expanded into the Florida market. It, from a recruiting standpoint, much like we talked about with the Big 10, from a financial standpoint, it made so much sense. And honestly... I know we were kind of trolling Bob Bowlesby a little bit last year when the whole Texas and Oklahoma (laughs) thing went down, but he executed and and navigated that situation flawlessly.
1: I agree. That, I think, is also the problem with the Pac-12 is who do they go get? You have, like, two or three options. San Diego State makes the most sense. Colorado State for the market of near Denver could work too. Boise State would be the best available program, but the market in Boise is not comparable to even, let's just say, a UNLV, for instance, (laughs) who's awful, who can't win a game in the Raiders' stadium. And that's, I think, the biggest problem facing the Pac-12 is that if they would have moved last year, they could have wound up with the BYU. They could have wound up even with a Cincinnati or a Houston or snagged a Texas Tech. If you remember, too, the Big 12, when it was imploding, a lot of the questions was, is Texas Tech or Kansas State or Oklahoma State going to go to the Pac-12? They could have, and if I was the Pac-12, they should have been.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, obviously, there's a lot that remains to be seen on the realignment front, and uh, we'll of course keep our keep our fingers on that, that pulse over the coming weeks and coming months and probably coming years as well, because there's a little bit of a lot that will, that will uh, unfold here shortly. But let's now pass it on to our next segment, NASCAR. One to go. White flag, next one, So, Zach, we had a bit of a headline earlier this week, actually, with, uh, was it was it GMS Petty Racing, right?
1: Petty GMS. Petty, I
0: always get the names backwards. It's okay. Petty GMS, <laughs> they announced a, a signing replacing Ty Dillon, of course, driving the 482 car. Was it was it Noah Gragson?
1: Noah Gragson, yeah. Coming up from Junior Motorsports in the Xfinity Series, I think he's probably one of the top three prospects right now that's not in the Cup Series. i put him probably number two behind Ty Gibbs, uh, probably the third being Zane Smith. But... Great get by Petty GMS. Uh, we know what that team's capable of if the driver's not Ty Dillon. Eric Jones has that car. Now, granted, he's not anywhere close to being the playoffs on points. But if you look in regular season points, he is 14th in points earned this year. He's a top 15 car. That is a huge progress from last year. Him and Dave Ellens getting hooked up, who was actually Noah Graxson's crew chief the last three years, has made such a big difference. And I think bringing Noah up to that 42 car and having Ellen's on the team, too, who's going to obviously be sharing notes from Eric Jones, that is a money, money move. And Noah gets along great, too, with the Gallagher's, the GMS family. That's a Vegas-based family. Noah's from Vegas. They're going to have a lot of connections there, too. Money's never going to be an issue for Noah to drive that car. And I think that's a great move by Petty GMS.
0: And, and to that point as well, I mean... Noah has been incredible at the Xfinity level, and honestly, he's done very well at the cup level. I mean, I think it was, was it this past week where Mm -hmm. he was running top five? Running top five.
1: He hasn't been able to finish a race. That's his problem. But he's been outperforming the equipment that he's been in. We've seen that 16 cars done on mile and a half, super speedways. It hasn't run as well as when Almendinger's in it at a road course or when Graxon's in it, too. So I think that speaks levels to what he's capable of, and it gives kind of a baseline jumping-off point from what he could be doing next year in a car that I think will have more speed than the 16s had this year. Um, it's also our first kind of big domino to fall for silly season this upcoming year. <laughs> I think it remains to be seen, obviously, with what Kyle Busch is going to do. But, you know, I think there was a lot of talk, too, about, okay, Corey LaJoy could be going to the 42. Could a John Hunter find himself in that car they nailed it 10 out of 10 for Noah Graxson in the 42, though.
0: Absolutely. So that was our, our big headline from this past week. Of course, going into this weekend, we're going to be at, at Richmond. Uh, Zach, this is our second time at Richmond this season. Tell, tell our listeners what they can expect to see at Richmond as far as uh, an experience, like what what the, what the track will drive
1: like. Well, historically, it's going to be a long green flag runs, a lot of those. Um The race there in the spring this year, I believe the whole last stage ran flag to flag. And we obviously kind of had a new strategy play out where you had guys pitting early in the stage, staying out late to end the the stage, and running faster lap times at the end with Hamlin catching William Byron from a long ways back. Mm -hmm. And then Kevin Harvick, who pitted a lap after Hamlin, almost catching him. Tire wear is going to be big. Executing those green flag pit stops, which have been a massive problem this year. Seems like every time we get one of those, a wheel comes off and the caution comes out. Um, I normally would say pretty tame race. With where we are right now in the season and the points battle, I'm watching two things this week. The front of the pack and Ryan Truex. Oop, that's the wrong guy. Martin Truex Jr. That's Ryan. That's Martin's brother is Ryan Truex. Ryan Blaney <laughs> versus Martin Truex. I'll get it right. Just give me like eight more tries. Um, That battle I've lost my co-host He's falling out of the chair uh, <laughs> We get it right here on Ball With Y'all Just stick with us and we'll figure it out No, but I think that's going to be The race within the race this weekend How does Ryan Blaney race Needing a win but also needing to Keep that 19 point buff for our Martin Truex Jr. That is going to be really fascinating To watch If I'm If I'm watching the race this weekend I'm looking at that Almost as much as I'm going to be looking at the front of the pack
0: Absolutely, I think that is the one of the biggest aspects of this race where Ryan Blaney, you know, he can't run all that comfortably because he has to kind of call his race based on what Truex is doing. But at the same time, too, in the back of his mind, he has to know, you know, if someone else goes out there and wins and they're in the top thirty in points, they're gonna go out there and get in the, get his spot, mm-hmm. right? And it's it's honestly, it feels like Truex is kind of in a more favorable position going into this weekend, having had success at Richmond. His team has had success at Richmond. All he has to do is just go out there and try to win the race. And finish better than Blaney, of mm-hmm. course. But, you know, like we talked about on Monday, if Truex goes out there, finishes third, and Blaney wrecks out, all of a sudden he he's in there, right? As long as there's no new winner. So it's going to really be interesting to see how that plays out and how Truex and how Blaney really call the race throughout the race and how their crew chiefs kind of approach the different pit stops and so on, to your point, mm-hmm. how that strategy works out. Because if I remember correctly, Truex had a different pitch-stop strategy than, than Denny did, and then Byron did, and so on, yes. so the first time around.
1: Yeah, at Richmond, yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think, man, Truex has won there a lot recently. This is, statistically speaking, one of Blaney's worst tracks. Now, granted, he did well there this spring, so it kind of changed the narrative there. But, man, I would not want to be Ryan Blaney right now. And Truex has had far more speed this year, too. You look at the races, like, there really hasn't been a race on my radar, at least, that I'm like, well, Blaney should have won that race. Truex, I can think of at least three or four races, one of them being Richmond earlier this year that he could have won.
0: Yeah, I think beyond, most recently, Nashville, right, where he mm-hmm. should have had the opportunity to win up there. Was Atlanta, too, he was up toward the Atlanta
1: front? was doing great, then he got hmm Yeah, that happens. <laughs> we're a fan. So, speaking <laughs> of uh, of
0: our, our picks for the week, because I know we're going into, into the, the Friday episode here, I uh, want to get to our picks for the week, Zach. Give us who you think will win the race, will win the race, and why.
1: Martin Truex, and it's because he has to. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think. Fair enough. Martin Truex, I think, is going to pull this one off. He has won there in the past quite a bit. He needs this more than anybody in the field, almost. I mean, you imagine being the guy who finishes fourth in regular season points and doesn't get to race for a play, for the playoffs
0: pretty bad position you don't want to
1: be that guy (laughs) don't be that guy so i think he goes out there and wins this week and i think he's going to have to show a little bit of muscle he's got to step it up he's got to be the martin tricks that we saw in 2017 where he wasn't afraid to move people he wasn't afraid to go up there and get his nose out in the wind and i think he wins it because he has to and then i think the pressure (laughs) immensely shifts back on ryan blaney
0: So, I will kind of take a little bit of a page out of your book. I will go with the Toyota this week, but I Uh will not go with Martin Truex Jr.
1: Not Bubba Wallace.
0: Not Bubba Wallace. Not Ty Gibbs. No, although Ty Gibbs will probably have a good run. But I will, in fact, go with someone who's had a lot of speed lately, right, in uh, in four career races at this track. So, not a large sample size, but in four career races. Has two top fives, and he's uh, finished in the top ten three of those four times. I like it. I'm gonna go with Christopher Bell. Love it this week. Love so it. So I think he he did really well this past week at Michigan, right? Of course, there was a situation with Ross Chastain, but overall he's had speed lately, right? And he won the race what two or three weeks ago
1: mm-hmm. at, uh,
0: at Loudon. Yep. So I would love. To see Christopher Bell go out there and win. Because honestly, I don't want to see another new winner before Daytona.
1: No. I want more chaos. (laughs) Injected into my veins, please. More chaos. I want
0: 15 winners walking into Daytona and then you... Who who the heck knows? Zero
1: points separating Blaney and (laughs) Tarek's. They wreck each other out and then a new winner happens and it doesn't even matter.
0: (laughs) I'm all for it. So, Zach, one last note before we end the episode today. What will the headline be going into Sunday night?
1: Well, I'm going to assume I'm going to be wrong on my pick. Just (laughs) because... It always happens it that happens way, too. but I think we get a. The headline will be repeat winner, okay. and a tightened points battle between Blaney and Truex. If Truex doesn't win the race this week, he definitely is shrinking that point gap from 19 points down, uh, for him and Blaney. I think, man, can you imagine going into like the last two races? There's 10 points separating those two. Um, I would have maybe considered having a new winner this week had Harvick not won last week. This was, I thought, his best chance to win looking at the regular season races left coming into the last week. But since he's won, I think we'll see a repeat winner. I mean, there's 15 guys that can repeat win. So to Blaney and Truex's worries, I think that's probably an asset. So I don't think we see a new winner. I think we see a repeat winner, and I think we see Truex take a bite out of that points gap between him and Blaney. So I will, I will take a little bit of that and then
0: also add a little bit more to that headline. My first headline will be that Chase Elliott will win the regular season points uh, battle because all he needs is to have, I believe, a 121-point gap over mm-hmm. over the others, and I think he only needs to get a small amount of points over, over Blaney and Chastain to make that happen. Agreed. So I think he'll solidify that, and then I will actually take a step further and say that Martin Truex Jr. will have a better finish to the point that drives Ryan Blaney outside of the playoff lines. I say that Martin Truex Jr. jumps Ryan Blaney this week
1: into that 16th spot. That's not good news for Ryan Blaney, because Watkins Glen is a Martin Truex racetrack next week. So I would be – let me tell you this. If Blaney walks out of Richmond and he's behind Martin Truex in points, he's not making the playoffs.
0: He's going full speed ahead at Daytona. Into a wall. He will not win that race. (laughs)
1: Last year he did, but not this year.
0: Well, uh, suffice to say, there's going to be a lot that's going to go on this week, and we will recap all of it on our Monday show. So once again, we appreciate you joining us today. If you'd like to, I I encourage you to share this with your friends, of course. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Never forget TikTok. Never. (laughs) Never forget. (laughs) As always, we appreciate you giving us a little bit of your time today, and we appreciate you allowing us to talk some ball with y'all.
1: Catch you on Monday.